Today on the No City on the Sideline Dad Podcast, episode number 112. Today my guest is Dr. Trevor Blatt, author of the book, Refining the Top 1%, The Seven Behaviors That Drive Shepherd Leadership. It's more than just, you know, work, corporate leadership, but it's also give you me personal leadership, leadership me being a father, can be, be a leader, being a community leader. We talk about leadership, limiting beliefs, overcoming anxiety, self-awareness, and taking care of your mental health is important too as a leader and a parent next on the podcast let's do this welcome to the no sitting on the sideline dad podcast a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life let's get involved here's host joe foley hey welcome to the podcast hey my name is joe foley i want to thank you for being here if the first time welcome welcome to the podcast i really do appreciate you I really do appreciate you being here. And this is your first time. Welcome. Welcome. I know as a dad, mom, we're busy. Especially, well, we're in the summertime right now, the kind of recording, but we're busy people. Everything's busy. We're going, 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 going. And I really do appreciate spending time listening. Hey, I got a, I got a request, a little request from, you know, me. I would really appreciate it. If you do like this podcast, share it with a friend. Say, listen, this podcast is a good, good listen to. Because we talk more, we talk about parenting, you know, self-awareness, self-improvement, you know, discovery of things we didn't know before. Because, you know what, I'll be honest with you, at my age, I thought I knew everything, but I don't. I'm still learning. And I'll, I think I'll continue learning as I get older. More we get the word out, more people listen to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it. Next up, my interview with Dr. Trevor Blattner author of the book, The Top 1%, Seven Behavior Drive Shepherd Leadership. I really enjoy this conversation because we had a wide variety of topics. We talked about limited beliefs, basically mental health, anxiety, getting through stuff, because that's important as a leader and as a parent too. Trevor opened up a lot about his anxiety and his thoughts about leadership and beliefs. I really did enjoy this conversation, and he, he shared a lot of great information. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Trevor Blattner. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You know, it's funny because time of this recording, you have three daughters. <laughs> I have one, bo- um, one boy, and it's going to be Father's Day. And my son kind of, <laughs> he couldn't wait to give me his Father's Day gift. He gave it to me today. Hmm. What is one thing you look like your kids have done for you and made you like smile about Father's, Father's Day? Well, mo- you know, so I have three girls that are they're eight, six, and four, um, almost four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, being the father of three girls is always sort of interesting um, and, and enlightening. They're all daddy's girls, so I sort of do whatever they, they want me to do for the most part. Um, but uh, a lot of the gifts I've gotten from them have been, um, you know, artwork that they've done, you know, or, or things that they've made at school that they, they want me to have. And, of course, I put all those things up on my, my bulletin board. I've got, oh, I've got this uh, mouse pad actually right here. It's one of my daughters right here. She's sitting next to her bunny rabbit. That was one of the gifts on Father's Day I got. And then I've got just like a a room full in my office here of their artwork. So uh, that's always, you know, really special stuff to me. So my son drew the Mandalorian and I mentioned to him that it looked like he had paws like a rabbit. No, he's like, Dad, that's not rabbit paws. <laughs> I'm like, they look like paws of a rabbit. <laughs> he wasn't buying it. He didn't, no, didn't no, no. I hope I didn't insult him because he he really did a really good job on that. It's fun. Being a dad is great. It's great. It's fun. It has it a is. challenge of moments, but Man, it has, they're definitely rewarding moments. You well, learn a lot. That's no doubt. 
One thing I brought you on today is uh, talk about your program in um, your book, the uh, book Redefining the Top 1%. And one thing I found it was interesting, I, I went through the book. I didn't. I scanned the book mostly, read most as much as I could. And sure. one thing I one thing that was interesting, too, about the book is your what, the 1%. What is the 1%? Well, it's a good question, and I think part of the reason I used that in the title is to, you know, to get people's attention because I think a lot of times when people – think of the top 1%, they think of sort of an elitist mentality or, or a, a group of people that is untouchable. But really what redefining the top 1% is, is meant to convey is that we, each of us has a, an upper level of our own ability and performance. And so how can we each individually tap into that best version of ourselves and specifically, this book is related to, you know, from a leadership standpoint, whether that's as a, as a parent, as a business owner, as a, uh, as a coach, little league or otherwise. I mean, all those roles we have as leaders, you know, how can we be most effective in those roles by leading ourselves individually at a high level? And so uh, that's what I, when I use the term redefining the top 1%, that's the top 1% of us individually and what we can do. It's interesting too. I was reading some of the book and something, and you mentioned um, Napoleon Hill. I mean, I, I thought yeah. that was fascinating. I just watched the movie this weekend, actually, and I found it. Oh, very, did you really? Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. like, it kept well, they kept advertising to me. I'm like, oh, finally, I'm going to buy the buy the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. Is it is it worth it? Is it good? Oh, like it's it? definitely it's definitely it had a lot of interesting people in it, like a lot of people who really achieve a lot. But mm -hmm. your book seems a lot of similar. Like I'm thinking about Napoleon Hill, Think Grow Rich, and I'm looking at your book, and I. I see the some of the similarities. Yeah, so you know that was a book that I read in my late teens, actually, that I think was recommended by um, Robert Kiyosaki in one of his books, Rich Dad Poor Dad. And so I picked it up, and um, it's it's a classic. And one of the things that I picked up in that book was, you know, the sort of the, the thesis of the book is that thoughts or our thinking patterns are actual things. You know, they're they're not. They're not intangible. Uh, they, there's an actual energy. There's a vibrational frequency to every thought that we have, and so, in a very real, real sense, the the way that we think will create our lives. You know, it'll bring us towards certain goals and away from others, based on how we're thinking about them. And so, that was kind of the most important piece of that book that I thought was was fascinating. You know, if you hear interviews with you know, some of the most successful people in the world, almost all of them will, will mention that book in some way that was influential on, uh, in their lives as they, were, as they were learning and growing. And so I do think there's some similarities in terms of the, uh, the idea of, of energy and how, you know, everything is connected in, in that way because everything really is on the fundamental level, subatomic level is, is energy. So how we use that energy strategically will will help us live lives more effectively. Well, it's interesting too, thought. I, I, I'm, I, all right, you need to help me with this one because I'm kind of curious <laughs> what the thought, how, can I just think it or like imagine it or just do it? How does that work? Well, I mean, I think the idea is that habitual um, thought patterns, you know, visualization of specific things that you would like to either do better or, ha or have happen in the future that are based on, specific goals that you have, and then an emotionally charged, you know, desire to reach those goals, the more effectively you're able to think through that, the better your planning is going to be. 
And the better your planning is, the more clear the steps will be in terms of how to achieve those things. And then, you know, just, just like in the book, in the chapter called Commit to Mastery, which is one of the seven behaviors in the book, these, you know, when these habitual thought patterns are, are repeated, you know, many, many times, particularly in a, in a visualization kind of a capacity, which is described in the book, you know, research does show that uh, performance level increases in related to those activities and anxiety level decreases. And so you're able to kind of, you know, increase your performance simply by thinking about the things you want to achieve. It's interesting. I mean, I'm thinking more like people who sit around and get all like anxious and, and upset about things and want to take more action. It seems like more action leads to more success or more achievement. Well, I think absolutely that's true. And I think that, you know, the idea is that if you, if you know what actions to take based on the thinking about them beforehand, mm-hmm. um, the more effective those actions will be when they happen well, is part of that. Interesting. One thing I was mm-hmm. curious about too is what is shepherd leadership? I was kind of curious about that because it's interesting. A leader um, in sheep, you know, leading the sheep around a shepherd. But I, mm-hmm. I was kind of curious, what did you mean by that? You know, there, we've all heard of the idea of servant leadership, you know, that uh, effective leadership Ken Blanchard has written on this is when we're, you know, when we're, when we're in a posture of, of servanthood toward those that we're, we're leading, you know, rather than being ego driven or, you know, sort of dominant, it's, it's more effective to be in a servant type of role. Shepherd leadership is that, but also uh, there's an element of the idea of, of protection, you know, that, that I think it's important for us as leaders, parent or, or boss or whatever to have a, uh, a posture of, uh, of responsibility and protection over the people that we're um, in charge of or, or leading in the organization or in the family. And so that's kind of the overarching idea of, of shepherd leadership. And I did base this, you know, loosely on some biblical principles, you know, Psalm uh, 23, for example, and then, um, you know, the ar- archetypical, you know, shepherd leader would be Jesus Christ himself in terms of his, his behavior and, and his posture toward those that he was, he was teaching. And the book, we break shepherd leadership philosophy down into seven specific behaviors that sort of build on one another. And that's kind of where the, uh, the rubber meets the road in terms of, of, of how to create that in your life. What's interesting too, the seven behaviors, can you share some of those behaviors? Yeah. So I, I, it's created in, in, it's an evidence-based type of a type of a book. So each of the behaviors is based on, um, on research and, and is backed by, you know, scientific evidence. But I sort of, after I did the research, then I sort of broke them down into, into seven steps that sort of build on each other. So the ideal is that, you know, you you would ideally want to do step one and two before three and four, Mm -hmm. um, all the way up to seven. So the first one is uh, embrace radical responsibility. Uh, The second one is um, recognize and optimize your higher self. Uh, we can get into some of the details of some of these if you want to. Uh, the third one is choose leadership and refuse ego or manage ego. The, the fourth one is strategically design your reality. The fifth one is commit to mastery. The sixth is relentlessly invest in the big three. And the seventh and last one is, uh, is called Be Still and Know. And it's about, um, it's about faith and sort of an eternal perspective. What's interesting, too, number one seems interesting, uh, embrace the radical responsibility. Mm-hmm. What is that? 
So it's the idea that, you know, in, until we're able to, you know, sort of put aside an entitlement or victimhood mentality, you know, we're really not going to be able to be able to achieve anything of significance. So it's important for us to take control individually of our lives and our minds and then educate ourselves and learn the things that we need to learn to design the life that we want. Um, and until we're, until we're responsible individually for, for taking those steps, really nothing else is going to be effective. So that's, that's why it, I think it's number one. And I think it's, it's extremely important for people to sort of uh, embrace that idea uh, of, of being responsible for, for our own lives and our own achievement. Well, it's interesting you said victimhood. And that's something, mm-hmm. something sometimes that holds people's back. Why, why mm-hmm. do you think that's a problem? Well, I think that um, it is a personality challenge. I mean, if you, if you view the world from the perspective of a victim, there's always going to be an excuse for anything that happens in life. Uh, and, you, and in many ways, you'll expect the worst um, because uh, that's sort of how you set yourself up. And so it's sort of a negative feedback loop. If you expect the worst, the worst happens, then you're sort of uh, you're expecting it again and again and again. And so I think just that uh, that idea of being a victim rather than being a person of autonomy that has control over the circumstances and outcomes in your life, at least on a, on a certain level, that will really hold you back uh, in a major way. Well, think about, so you think negative stuff, think the bad stuff, like the world's going to fall apart and you're going to attract that, that part, that bad things. So mm-hmm. if I think the positive stuff, I'm going to attract the positive stuff. Is that kind of how it works? Well, I think in many ways, you know, that's sort of uh, people have heard of the law of attraction, you know, and that's that's sort of one of the uh, the fundamental universal laws that that some of the gurus talk about. And I do think that, uh, well, I don't think that just thinking something it creates it immediately in, in the world. You know, there's more to it than that. I do think that the habitual thought patterns that we have do certainly have power, you know, and they certainly do create neural connections in our brains that are, uh, are strong and uh, become habitual and are hard to overcome if we have a continuous pattern of thought in a direction that's unfavorable. Think about that stuff too. And one thing I was kind of curious, before you become the writing this book and become the leadership coach in, in the program, what were some of the challenges you faced? Oh, a lot. I mean, you know, a lot of them I'm dealing with, you know, currently, I think a lot of these are, are lifelong challenges that, that each of us you know, each of us has a cross to bear and everybody's is different. Um, one of mine was anxiety, you know, as I, when I, particularly when I was in college and, and uh, even in dental school, just sort of generalized anxiety was, was something I battled. I think I'm a, an achievement oriented person. And so if I was ever on, if I was ever on the brink of, of not achieving something that I, that I felt was necessary in my life, there was a lot of anxiety attached to that. Um, and so that's something I still still deal with, and, and I manage it better than I used to. But it's because I'm aware of it. But it's still something I I, I, I battle. Another thing I think is, you know, that a lot of people cha- are challenged by is self doubt, insecurity. You know, those kinds yeah. of things that that uh, you know often are rooted in our childhood. You know, things that we you know we learned when we were kids. We were trying to to earn love and and affection and all these things. Sometimes those things become part of our subconscious thinking without us realizing it and and they don't serve us long term and so a lot of it does have to do with recognizing those things in our own lives and then you know just figuring out you know that they're there and how to deal with them best um, in our individual situations 
Well, I was thinking too, with things rooted in our childhood. So like your mother, I hate to say this, but your mother didn't give you enough hugs when you were a kid. Uh, <laughs> my mind didn't. Right. Okay. But you know, that's yeah. what that does to say in something. We're not saying that, well, you know, be honest with you, truthfully is I'm proud of you. Um, I, right. I, I'm, I'm proud of what you've done, even though it's the simplest thing saying, I love you. I'm proud of you mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Especially being a dad. Sometimes I tell my son every day that I'm proud of him. I love him. And I'm, I'm going to be probably annoying when I'm 75 and he's like 30. Hey, call him up every day. I love you. I'm proud of you. Okay, dad, go back to <laughs> watching shows. But you know what? I, I think what you just said there is extremely important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my dad and I, our relationship now is much stronger than it was when I was a kid. And, and you know, and, and it's not, and he and I have talked about this, you know, so it's not going to be a surprise if he hears this interview, but you know, when he was in the years when I was a kid, he just wasn't around a lot. And when he was, he was a very stoic personality. You know, it, 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 we, we didn't hug, you know, he would never say things like, you know, good job, or I'm proud of you or any of that stuff. And that some of that's generational, you know, but the power of that stuff of just simple things like I'm proud of you, or, you know, you're doing a great job at, at this and that. I mean, that stuff is incredibly important to kids, especially from the dad, I think. So I, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. What are some of, some of the experiences with your kids? If your dad was stoic and wasn't really like saying, I'm proud of you, I love you, but is it different for you as a father for your daughters? extremely different. Yeah. And I probably, I, you know, in may, in some ways I may overcompensate, you know, because <laughs> I, I'm so much the opposite and that, you know, and, and the fact that their daughters maybe is a part of that as well, but you know, to me, they seem, they just seem so delicate, you know, and, and, and fragile and like they, they need positive feedback all the time and it brings me joy to give it. But I do think that looking back on my own childhood, uh, I think that it can be very beneficial just for them to know unconditionally that you're there and that you love them is just, it's extremely powerful long-term for kids. Well, I think also growing up as an adult, if you have that positive um, imprint in your, head, um, in your mind, on your head, you're in your mind about mm-hmm. being, you know, like your dad saying, I love you. I'm proud of you build self-confidence, I think. And you, oh yeah. And I think that also, they won't have limited beliefs. I'm not going to, this is my science project. My son's my science project. I keep telling him every time I love him and I'm proud of him and see why he turns out in another 20 years. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm just wondering too, is I know I suffer from limited beliefs as a, sure. cause I'm, you know, I'm probably the same boat as you in the sense that I wasn't told that, you know, different kind of childhood. <laughs> that's sort of gonna- just different. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And limited beliefs though. I, I found that interesting too. That's one of the mm-hmm. ones I, I'm always find fascinating limited beliefs. What does limited beliefs mean to you? Well, when I think of that, I think it's a lot of them are self-prescribed. You know, they're, they're labels that we, that we assign to certain things in our lives that we automatically think are not possible for us. And a lot of times we assign them, you know, as impossible without actually having gone down the road of figuring out if it would be possible for us. And so for me, you know, for example, one limiting belief that I have still um, that I've never dealt with is I, I don't think I'm artistic. <laughs> and so, and I, I think that comes from when I was a kid, you know, I, when I was in art class, it was never something I enjoyed. And so I never really pursued, you know, painting or, or drawing or anything like that after the point where I had to. So if someone asks me to, to do something artistic, I immediately tell them, no way, I'm, that's not, I'm not that person. I can't do that. And um, I, in, in reality, I really don't know if I can do that. You know, if I, if I actually took art classes or if I tried, or if I, if I trained myself, 
yeah, I probably wouldn't be a great artist, but could I, could I do something that might be enjoyable as an artist? Probably, but I've already made that decision that, you know, I'm, I'm limited in that way. And so I think we all do that in different ways. You know, a lot of people like, so my wife, for example, she, uh, even though she could absolutely do it, she will never, ever um, do any sort of public speaking. And it's because she's just already decided in her mind that she cannot be a public speaker. She can't be in front of people. And it's just not something that's possible for her when anyone from the outside looking in would know that's not true. I mean, she's got the personality, she's got the communication skills, but in her own mind, it's a limiting belief that she has. And so um, I do think we all have those. On my mind's writing, I'd be honest with you, like writing a paragraph or writing mm -hmm. show notes for a podcaster, as you know, you're a podcaster yourself. Those can yeah. be so much that uh, can be challenging. I do all right. I do fine. But it's just my head to going, I got to reread it seven times. I drop like seven words and stuff <laughs> like that. So I got to reread. That's my limited belief. And I think it's kind of funny. I'm, I just, everybody has them. Everybody has them. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. My dad, for example, he's a guy that can do almost anything. I mean, he can rebuild cars. He's built motorcycles. He can draw. He can, he's an engineer, but he's the same. He cannot, he has no ability to, he has no faith in his ability to write paragraphs or, or, you know, the fact that I wrote a book to him is just incomprehensible, you know, <laughs> that someone could, would do something like that, but, but that's his. And so if I look at the, some of the things that he does that are so out of this world in terms of what seems possible for me, that it's just fascinating to look how we each individually have those limiting beliefs that are unique. Well, one thing I really want to touch upon, I know it's, I found it very fascinating in the book, was we're all born with gifts that are internally wired. What did mm. you mean by that in the book? Because I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, I th you think you've probably heard of some of the assessments that you can take, like the DISC assessment, the Strengths Finders assessment that Gallup has, and then, of course, the Enneagram that people are, are really into now. And all of those individual assessments sort of give you an ability to, to take a test and, and get feedback on what your very natural internal gifts are that you're sort of born with. And I think that uh, I personally think it's extremely important for people to know those things about themselves because it can really, it'll give you a lot of insight and self-awareness about where you're really strong naturally and where you're not. And then it can also direct you in certain paths, you know, based on what your internal strengths already are so that you're not paddling against the current all the time. And another thing, though, that is important also, the, the flip side of that is that we, we have the ability to, uh, we have something called neuroplasticity that, that research has discovered over the last couple of decades, which literally means that we can change the wiring, the, the neuronal patterns in our brains by by learning and doing new things. And so it's not that we're limited by our, our internal wiring that we're born with. Um, we can definitely change and improve it, but um, there's no doubt that we're all born with a certain, a certain bent towards strengths that are, are genetically there. So. One thing also too is um, I, I actually, okay. I didn't read the book. I listened to the audio to audio audible book, but I did, I have it on my um, audible, my phone is Victor Frankel. Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. That, that's a very powerful book. And I know you mentioned about self-awareness in the book. Why did you bring his name up? I'm kind of curious. Well, that was a book that I read also, uh, maybe my late teens, early 20s. Um, this, the, the title of the book captivated me, Man's Search for Meaning. 
you know, and, and of course his story without going into detail, he was a, a concentration camp survivor and also a, uh, a psych- psychologist, psychiatrist. And so he, he basically came up with this philosophy called logotherapy that he used from his experiences in, in the concentration camps to help people through anxiety, depression, and all these life challenges. But one thing in, in the book I talk about that he discussed in Man's Search for Meaning is this idea of self-awareness, which is really unique to human beings. And it's the idea that between you know, a, some sort of stimulus, between something that, we, that we're exposed to in our environment and our response to that stimulus, there is a, there's a space there. And that's where free will comes, in, comes into play, which is unique to us as human beings. And so, you know, we all have the ability through self-awareness to make choices in those split seconds between a stimulus and a response. It's our choice how we're going to to react. And so I think that's an important point as far as, you know, things like autonomy and, you know, ethics and morality, all these things that are are so challenging to recognize that that for human beings, it's a unique scenario and and we have power because of our, our ability to choose. That's interesting. So I, I just love the book. It was a great book. It was very moving. And, and all those points you just mentioned, I remember reading the book. The one thing I wanted to talk about, um, one thing about is your book, Refining the Top 1%. So mm-hmm. if somebody's going to get this book, what do they expect to read and what kind of things you expect inside of the book? Yeah, well, the, the book is broken up into lots of exercises. So each of the behaviors, the idea is that as you move through the behaviors from um, from the lowest level of performance, which we call mayhem in the book, which is chaos, um, disorder, <laughs> to to the highest level, which is mastery, which is sort of that that pinnacle where you're, you know, you're able to uh, to be in flow and 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 are living according to the highest mission in in life for yourself individually. As you move through each of the behaviors on the way up, there's multiple exercises so that you're actually you know, doing things and putting things down on paper and, and running through visualization techniques and all these things to try to build the exercises into your life on a daily basis so that you can kind of create these behaviors more habitually in your life. So that's the idea. And so there's, it's very interactive kind of a book. Um, it's also philosophical. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot in there about you know, what science and philosophy has, has showed us over the years. And also, you know, there's a lot of Christian principles. It's not a, it's not a Christian book per se, you know, it's not written to Christians only, but there's a lot of faith-based information in there that is, will resonate with, with people of faith, I think, um, because it's based on those foundational ideas. So. I like to cover though, there's a person on the top of the mountain and people helping each other, pulling each other up. And it mm-hmm. must, does that have meaning? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, so the, the idea really is that, you know, life in general is, is, is done best with support from others. You know, loneliness is one of the most debilitating things in the human condition. You know, statistically, loneliness is, is the thing that causes death most, most quickly. You know, someone is, is lonely for a period of time and they don't have any sort of hope to get out of that state, then, then death comes quickly. And so I think the idea of camaraderie and specifically the leader in the role of, of pulling the rest of the team up based on his or her uh, own behavior and standards is really the, uh, the overarching theme of the book. 
I definitely like the cover. Very interesting too. But Thank also you. you do have a podcast too. What is your podcast about? Yeah. So the podcast is, is called redefining the top 1%. And, um, you know, we would bring on guests that are, you know, high achieving individuals in, in whatever capacity, most of the time they're, uh, they're bestselling authors or, or leadership oriented coaches, those kinds of things, executive coaches. And we just try to, uh, to get as much wisdom out of them as we can in about a 30 minute interview. Um, we've had people like Seth Godin on Chester Elton, Paul Martinelli, who was the uh, president of the John Maxwell team. So, you know, we've had some, some guests that are, are pretty fascinating people and, and we've been very fortunate and uh, it's been just kind of a, a series of lessons in what great leadership looks like in the modern world. Seth Godin, that had to be cool. I always it was very to, cool. Yeah, it was very I, cool. I've always wanted to talk to him. I've read, I've got his books and stuff, and mm-hmm. and that must have been. I like his glasses though. He has the cool glasses. He has. A, and he did. He. I think he had a a pair of yellow rimmed glasses on when we did our <laughs> interview. Um, and he was he was exactly like you would imagine. Just cool as a cucumber. Very articulate and and very kind. So it was cool. That's definitely cool. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. I had to mention that. I always I follow him and stuff like that. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, wrapping up, um, final thoughts, anything you want to leave with the audience? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, of course, the, you know, the book is coming out July 27th, you know, is this kind of the launch date, so people can already get it on Amazon. Uh, It's called Redefining the Top 1%, Seven Behaviors that Drive Shepherd Leadership is the the title. They can check out my website at uh, drtrevorblotner.com and then uh, go to the book page. There's a bunch of bonuses um, that we're giving away. For anyone that orders the book, I mean, they just put all they have to do is put their little code in from Amazon. Uh, they'll get the audio book for free. They'll get um, also the uh, workbook that we created to go with the book. Um, and there's also a, a personal leadership academy online course. So it's a video course that people can get if they're interested in really diving deep into, into the ideas a little bit further. So, you know, all those things are, uh, are, you know, available. The other thing I wanted to, to mention while I'm thinking about it, the, uh, the one chapter is called relentlessly invest in the big three. And I just don't want to leave everybody hanging. So I'll tell them what the big three are. The big three are, uh, are your tribe, which is kind of what we were talking about, either your team or, um, or your social connections. And then the second one is your personal education. So the idea that, that lifelong learning is, is a principle that every leader needs to embrace and then the last is value producing assets. So things in life that accumulate long-term value rather than being liabilities that, that take away long-term value. So those are the big three. And I just want to throw that in before we let everybody go. Well, all links will be in the show notes for this episode. Um, Trevor, I will make sure all the, the book link and the, the book launch and everything will be in the uh, show notes for the episode. I really want to thank you very much for being here on this evening on the podcast. I really do appreciate it, sir. Joe, I appreciate it so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Wrapping up this episode, I want to thank Dr. Trevor Blattner for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about him over at drtrevorblattner.com. Also, check out his podcast, Redefining the Top 1%. We talk to leaders and, and people in the business world. I got kind of cool. You get to talk to Seth Golden. That's kind of like one of my heroes. I always wanted to talk to him because he has his cool glasses. Also, check out his new book. I think it's kind of more than just leadership and business, but also in community, moms and dads. I think you would really enjoy this book. Check out the link in this episode. You can find all the links in this for this episode on the show notes at nocityonthesideline.com 
slash 112. Hey, please reach out. Leave a comment. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Hey, I know it's been a little bit. I'm, I appreciate you. So if you leave a comment, I want to say hello. I want to know how you're doing. It really, really makes a, it makes a big deal for me. If you want to find all my contact information over at nosittingonthesideline.com slash contact. One thing we touched upon in this episode, and I thought was really important about loneliness, and um, I thought that was pretty, pretty significant, actually. Besides all the leadership stuff and anxiety and, you know, top 1%, but I think it's important that, you know, sometimes people are lonely and they don't tell you and they don't, you don't realize it. So reach out, tell a friend, reach out, say hello, actually, not tell a friend, but reach out and hello and ask a friend how they're doing. Because, you know, sometimes I was thinking about it the other day, we all have bad days. We really do all have bad days. And um, sometimes we do need a helping hand. So reach out. A friend who thinks you might need somebody to talk to, give them a call. It really would make their day. Well, until next time, take care. God bless. Give your kids a hug. Tell them how much you love them. Until next time, see ya.